Welcome to All Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero, hosted by me, Kate Thompson. And me, Mark David Christensen. Yeah! Yes! <laughs> uh, we're we're uh, coming off hot off of the finish of our first major Witchfinder storyline, and we're going yeah. right into another Witchfinder, one who... Uh, one who got it um, for a bad reason, the, the nickname uh, Henry Hood. We're going yeah. into a storyline that's uh, a, one of a short one of his, the burial of Catherine Baker. Um, yeah. So that will be interesting to cover momentarily. But before we can get to that story, we got some segments for you, folks. Ooh. <laughs> Our first segment is a little segment we like to call Hell to Pay. We've given Hell to Pay the, the intro like bass rhythm of the Hellboy movie. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what it sounded like you were doing. I love it. Back in the day, I used to try to. Do, it was like you know, like a Pink Floyd sort of a funny situation. <laughs> but I've really stopped committing to <laughs> anything that resembles that. I don't know. Everything evolves, you know. Yeah. Everything yeah. evolves. Evolves. Yeah. Devolves. Uh. <laughs> well, within this segment, what we have is they announced. I think this came from from Bloody Disgusting is the one that originally dropped it, and then of course other um, websites picked it up. Uh, but there was an announcement, and I'm pretty much going to read this stuff word for word just so I get yeah. all the information correct. But this comes from Bloody But Disgusting. He says, Hellboy learns about the mis- mysteries of an exorcism gone wrong in Hellboy, the Silver Lantern Club, a five-issue miniseries on the way this Halloween from Dark Horse Comics. Just continuing on that same thing, this says, all-new five-issue comic book series by legendary Hell- Hellboy creator Mike Mignola and best-selling iZombie co-creator Chris Robertson, featuring our Art by Christopher Minton and Ben Stenbeck. Pretty cool. We just finished Ben Step um, with Witchfinder, and he's, you know, he's we're finding out about a future project of his. Pretty, yeah. pretty fun timing. Uh, with colors of Michelle Madsen. Each standalone issue of the series focuses on a different Victorian occult investigator who battled evil years before Hellboy was on the scene. And this is a quote from Chris Robertson. He says... Over the years, readers have gotten to know a few of the people who investigated the occult and supernatural long before Hellboy and the BPRD, like the Witchfinder himself, Sir Edward Grey, and the globe-trotting Sarah Jewell. I don't think we've met Sarah Jewell as of yet, but um, she recently does have her own, we've discussed in the past, her own series, um, which is on my nightstand. I have yet to read the two issues that I have. Because <laughs> uh, sometimes I like to let stuff stack and then fin- read it all at once. Yeah. Uh, he continues. But Sir Edward and Sarah were just two members of the Silver Lantern Club, a group of occult investigators who met regularly in a London tavern to swap stories over drinks. In Hellboy, the Silver Lantern Club, Hellboy and Professor Broom take a break from an ongoing investigation to meet up with the professor's uncle Simon at that same tavern, who was a member of the club himself, to hear stories of the glory days. That's, that's going to be sort of, it seems like Hellboy is, it's going to be like almost like a storytelling book. It feels like, like, yeah, our, I'm interested in meeting Broom's uncle too, which he's like mentioned before. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That'll be cool. It will be cool. I think, I mean, we've definitely not met any of most of these characters, like the silver lantern club members, maybe Edward Gray is the only one if, the, if he is an, an official member, but mm-hmm. I don't think we've met anybody yet that I'm aware of from this club. So it's something cool. I, mean, I think like full-time readers of, or it's something they've been like very curious about. Yeah. But then uh, just a couple more details about this read in the debut issue. Hellboy learns about the mysteries as, as I stated before, an exorcism gone wrong and more when his occult investigator relative reveals secretive and perilous adventures of one of the Hellboy universe's most mysterious societies. Silver Lantern Club member Simon Broom relates a tale from the dawn of radio in which Sir Edward Gray and Sarah Jewell go toe-to-toe with technology. <laughs> I mean, who knows what all this will, will you know, it, it just makes me excited to see what they came up with. Yeah, for sure. And it says it's just in time for Halloween, going to be released by Dark Horse Comics on October 27th, 2021 as a full-colored 32-page comic. And it says that Mignola Minton and 
David Stewart provide the cover for the debut issue. So cool. Looks nice. Yeah, it looks nice. A little Hellboy. You ever uh, read any or watch any iZombie? Uh, is iZombie where it's like that blonde girl that can like eat brains and find out clues? Yeah, she's like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My sister really loved, she's like, you got to watch this show, dude. It's so stupid. It's great. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. I watched like maybe like five or six episodes. I, I mean, I would keep watching it, but Jess just hates it. She thinks it's too dumb. But I think it's like, right. It's a great balance of, of stupid and like a good, like procedural, you know? Yeah, totally. I yeah. think, I think I tried to check it out just to see, cause back when I like, Watched like the first season of Arrow, the first season of Flash. I think I checked out like the first, like the pilot episode of it. Uh And I don't want to disparage any of that work. I just, it's just not for me. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's more for me than Flash or or, like. I watched Flash just as a completionist and I hated all of it. And oh my god! I hated all of Flash. Just, <laughs> just as flagellation. Yeah, flagellation. It just didn't work for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that it didn't work enough for you to watch it for like fucking how many seasons of Flash are there? I mean, there's they're still going. I think. Did you right? watch? Did you? I mean, you got to catch up then, huh? No, I'm not going to continue. I just said <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> Same with like. Uh, Sounds like you loved it. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're so right. And I love iZombie. <laughs> I've never read any of it, though. But I, I do. Again, um, it looked like it was doing what it does well. And very. Yeah. So I can't. I can't shit on it. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. I just have a hard time, like, with Flash. A little bit of Arrow is this, but mostly Flash, where I was like, these are, like, a forensics officer who is, eventually becomes Flash. They have very adult jobs. That they have like yeah. high responsibilities, but emotionally they they interact with each other like teen like almost like like teenagers. Yeah, it's hard for me to watch. Sure, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, you're all adults. Why do you act like this? <laughs> That's totally fair. <laughs> Talk to each other for God's sake. <laughs> Communicate your feelings yeah. like adults, like sad adults. Unless you're all like truly like have trauma that you haven't dealt with and that's why you're trapped in your like you know arrested development that's super that's superheroes man (laughs) i will say this this is a side thought as i just pulled it up i've never i've never read the comic book i zombie have you have you read the comic i i mean i like downloaded it just to kind of look at it but i wasn't no like I, i you know i i really like the art you know yeah totally there's a comic book that DC released um, back, I think it's 2011. It's It was like a re, I think it was a reboot. Yes, 2011. It's like a, or a sequel to a book that I previously never read before, to be completely honest, but yeah. called Zombie, but it's spelled with an X. It's X-O-M-B-I. Okay. And man, do I love that book. That six issues of Zombie from 2011 put out by DC Comics is visually is so damn cool. It looks like it's by John Rosam and art by Fraser Irving. Fraser Irving's art is, I, especially in that book, and he's done some other stuff, I think, now for Marvel and probably many more, but like his stuff's rad. <laughs> oh, this does look cool. I'm a big fan of that book, Zombie. I thought it was great. I I do. Ha- I should read I Zombie. I I I mean, I just love Michael Allred. Like his shit is cool. Oh, he it's oh he did any- oh he did my I Michael Allred did it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His pop art style. Him and his wife are very, very cool. Slick stuff. Yeah, I mean, stuff's all yeah. Uh, like it looks really good. I, apparently, the comic and the show deviate a lot. That happens I, a lot though. And yeah, yeah. I'm not like too concerned about whatever. But zombie with an X and an I looks cool. <laughs> I like the title. The title is like very, it just makes me think of like 90s kind of stuff. It was because it was. A your- big slashy X, like a drippy kind of a bloody sort of title. Like, I think it looks cool. Yeah. And you're 100% right because it was originally like a book from the 90s. And this is like the follow up to that 90s book. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm a fan of when people can do that. And then make it really great. Like, did you ever read the the Prophet follow up? No, oh, no. Oh, that's a great comic book. And it's like it's taking from um the image like Wild Storm like world and the the character Prophet and like pushing him in like thousands of years in the future to this <laughs> wild. Oh, I love that. I love that comic book. 
written by I think it's I, I'm I'm always confused about who's the writer and who's not. You know, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not looking at the. So it's written by Brandon Graham, and he's also an artist with Simon Roy. And and then there's a couple of other writers. Oh, wait. I fucking... I did read this. Yeah, it's like... I did read a little of this. It's like yeah. Rob Liefeld's crazy character, Prophet. They yeah, take I it. was that's I was Googling it, and then I saw like all of Liefeld's uh, drawings of it, not realizing... Yeah, I've read this like reboot of... I love it. I didn't reboot. even realize it was a reboot. Like, I had no prior knowledge of it whatsoever i just thought yeah i like this artist yes i love all the all the artists that per participate in that book is just it's just like i think they do a good job of like something that's years later they're like well let's have fun with this you know what i mean sort this of life field artist cracking me up dude like it's so <laughs> I, I mean i don't hate him as an artist either like i think that there's definitely there's something cool about some of his shit but it's just so funny it's like such a such its own thing. Yeah, and also, like, we we can laugh at him and do whatever we want and dislike him or like him, but he's still created something that we keep talking about. Right, right. <laughs> but, like, muscles on muscles and tiny hands, tiny feet. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really silly. Yeah. I'm on this roll right now of talking about, like, comics and other – right now in this moment – uh, I also love Tom King's like his stuff with like building on vi his vision as well as like his Mr. Miracle for DC, which is a character I wasn't very familiar with. And I picked up because Tom King started writing it and now he's doing his, his, uh, his strange, I think, um, strange adventures for DC, which is awesome. Nice. Rorschach he's done and it's, that Rorschach's pretty good. I'm not wowed as much by the other ones, but it's still good because Tom King's a great writer. I just like these people that can pick up these old things and just give new twists on them that are very fascinating and intriguing. It also reminds me of uh, the sequel to, there's a great movie called The Hustler starring Paul Newman. I'm really going on a rant right now. Paul Newman. No, I'm following it. Paul Newman, who plays this great character, iconic character back in like a 50, I believe it's a 50s movie, The Hustler, where he plays Fast Eddie Felsen about a pool hustler. Great movie on its own. Then years later, Paul Newman for Martin Scorsese reprises the role of Fast Eddie Felsen in a movie called Color of Money in the 80s, also starring Sweet. Tom Cruise. I think it's a great movie. I just like when people do that. It's very, when they do it well, it's very fucking cool. It is fun to have a character, the same character over like two, I'm assuming kind of unrelated movies, other than I guess like they're about pool. Yeah, they're about pool, and it's like you get to see a character in a different time in his life. Yeah, that's interesting. And I like a sequel like that that's not so like so heavy in mythology. It's just like, it's like oh, they just you just happen to have this story. It's about this guy in two different times of his life. But they're not like it's not like a Star Wars or a Marvel where it's like has to, it's all connected in some fucking weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not that I don't like that stuff. I'm just saying. <laughs> but there's my rant about bringing it back. We're looking forward to the Silver Lantern Club Hellboy comic coming out in October. All good for your Halloween readings on October 27th, 2021. Fully colored, 32-page comic brought to you by Mike Mignola, Chris Robertson, Christopher Minton, Ben Stenbeck, and Michelle Madsen. So put that in your holds, folks. Hell yeah. Great. Um, well, that was uh, our segment of hell to pay. <laughs> I, 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 I hell to pay for your time on my rant. Um, <laughs> no, it was good. I got a lot of good recommendations. I'm, <laughs> I'm like adding to my letterbox watch list over here. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. Um, great. And then we now we're going into our segment, which we love because. We can't do it without without any of you out there. It's oh boy email. Great. Our first email comes once again from Ian Win Widner. Widner? I hope Widener? Widener. God damn it. Widener. That's okay. Uh, I can be mad at myself. Do it again. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I like my shame on record. Uh, <laughs> um, he sent us a great email, and it's titled "Magical Sigils in Vampiral Vampiral Vampiral." How do you say this? Vampirella. Vampirella. I was trying to think of the character's name, and they got all twisted in my brain. Vampirella Sisters. Yeah. Great um, email title, and. 
he starts off with saying, what up? What up, crappers? <laughs> Man, Trevor Broom really deserves father of the century, doesn't he? 1947 was such a well-written and drawn story, and at the heart of it all was the love Trevor has for our favorite half-demon, Hellboy. Well, he's still a bit of a scamp right now. The hero stuff comes later, but all of the kid Hellboy scenes are the most adorable thing ever. I think you would agree with that, Kate. You were in love with yeah, that little, so, that little Yeah, I love that depiction of him. He was really cute. <laughs> and when they get guest artists, boy, do they really flex and get their stuff done up to the nines. Ba and Moon also worked on the art with Gerard Ways writing for the Umbrella Academy. Oh, that's cool. I have that makes gonna be another reason to pick that up because I have yet to read Umbrella Academy. Have you read it? Yeah, me neither. No. Me either. And the otherworldly energy they bring is truly enchanting. As I understand it from other reviews and breakdowns of the stories, Ba drew the majority of the issues with the grounded realities of the BPRD base in France, with Moon drawing the scenes with the vampires and astral plane. Yeah, we had another uh, email that definitely went over this as well, and it's very cool, this breakdown of their, their use of their their abilities together Yeah, as a tandem. Yeah. I think it's very cool. Also, the twist of the chateau being burned down years ago is a classic eerie twist that perfectly sets up the shenanigans to unfold. Yeah, um, that's a classic thing, like, it was burned down years ago or so-and-so right, right. is like, it reminds me immediately. She died 10 years ago. Yeah. Pee Wee Herman's uh, big adventure, large March. Oh yeah. Yeah. Large <laughs> March. Uh, that's immediately what I think of. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite parts of this is how quickly the vampires dispatched of Baron Koenig, which when said aloud by Kate made me think of Sasha Baron Conan just about every time. <laughs> Koenig? I guess so. Yeah. That's funny. What, what can you instead of no. So Baron, as he died, said, my wife, <laughs> my life, my life. <laughs> Very dumb, uh, <laughs> but worth it. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite tenets of the Mignola verse is that no one is safe and anyone can die. The stakes are always high, very sweet, innocent, homunculacil. How do you say that word? Okay. The stakes are always high from the sweet, innocent homunculi to otherworldly, angelic, uh, ultra-terrestrials. Angelic, uh, ultra, yeah. Angelic, ultra-terrestrials. Crazy. That's a wild angelic sentence, Angelic, ultra Ian. I know. I was just thinking, you, you read my mind. I was just thinking <laughs> that exact same thing. It's like, oh my God. It's I, like a yeah, tongue twister. Yeah, yeah. well yeah. done. Homunculi. That's, I was like, I haven't seen homunculus, the word, in a long time. Since yeah. <laughs> so, yeah we've said goodbye to roger so long ago yeah sad he was great but you know he lives on in this wild sentence that ian wrote <laughs> right <laughs> and just was simply showing just how low the baron was on the bloodsucker totem pole the horror of realizing these ancient beasts have much more sinister plans giving a wondrous sense of dread of what could come next i i agree i think we've always yeah felt that things are always on that cusp of like even if we haven't seen main characters die right off they've our main characters are not let off the easy <laughs> they've yeah. gone through a lot uh which is very good for the this book in general also i think i found a pretty solid meaning to the sig sigil that ota sealed the vampire vampirella vampirella the vampire vampirella sisters i keep thinking i'm dumb um, no, you're not away with that. <laughs> Who cares? It's also like, how often do you read or say that word? You know, like, never, <laughs> never. Yeah. I could, Maybe the first time in your life. Probably. So. I just remember yeah. looking at the, don't, don't beat yourself up as a kid that. at, as a kid at, uh, the comic book store in Utah, which I'm forgetting the name of it right now, seeing her comic books on the shelf and yeah, being like, I can't read those. I'm not. I, I, yeah, I was dirty. like, those are illegal for me to read. <laughs> I'll go to jail if I look at this too long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the Vampirella sisters away. That was an autocorrect from Vampire, and I'm keeping it. Oh, that's funny. It correctly autocorrected it. Okay. it to that name. That's so funny. Ian uses Vampirella more than, than we do. Yeah. He definitely <laughs> he's, and he's He's sticking to it. Yeah. According to the source I found, it's highly similar to the Hebrew letter Chef or het, heth, net, meaning fence or enclosure. Oh, that's cool. Fine. Thank you for doing oh, the work. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm not sure if that's true, but it is used in some seal of Solomon Inuncian magic. Hopefully, Inuncian. Hopefully, I pronounced that somewhat close. Nokian. Nokian. That's good. <laughs> Proving yet Pure again. Guessing. Yeah, that's all I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah. Proving yet again that Hellboy is the gateway drug to deeper occult mystery schools truths. That's, hey, if you want to go further, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, the character of Ota was so cool in this. Ring slightly of the magical black man trope, though not in too problematic of a way. Oh, I'm not very, I guess I'm not overly familiar with that trope, so. It's like a, it's a pretty common one, like a magical older black guy it's like think of like like in shawshank redemption uh, or something like that like yes but there's a, even prince of tot prince of thieves uh robin hood prince of thieves does that also with morgan freeman yeah i think uh morgan freeman plays a <laughs> plays that role more than anyone else <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah there's like a there's like a ton like even like in ghost like Whoopi Goldberg is kind of considered that to a degree. Yes, she is that. Or like mm, a little bit like Chubbs and Happy Gilmore or something like that. Like that makes sense. I'm trying to think of them like right offhand. These are all great examples. But I'm sure there's like a long, you know, yeah. extensive list of them somewhere, but and probably highly more problematic examples that we're not coming up with for sure. But that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that being a little problematic of a word. Or like The Shining. Yeah, Shining. Shining's a great, yeah. great one. Yeah. Okay. Arguably more of a subversive subversive of it, like sort of like the fleshing out of a man saw his yellow face into more than racist subtext. For sure. It's like a little more surface it's beyond it, I guess. Whereas Minza, it took other books to flesh it out. When we first met him, it was just felt like yellow face. Yeah. The introduction of this tertiary character was done in such an epically dramatic way. It's a fantastic concept of having a priest fall away from his core faith and accepting other gods as his invocations of exorcisms. I agree. I loved that aspect of him where he felt he felt like he was something else. He, yeah. Like he was part of what he's talking about. And like he even not being that generic like sort of priest that just is like I see things he like had a he seemed to have a very richer knowledge of how the world is actually put together and i thought that was a great touch yeah he was and he, he was just like formidable too like his kind of transformation into his younger self on this different plane of existence and stuff like that it's like okay so your physical body is old but you are something to be reckoned with in this like spiritual realm or whatever yeah i agree yeah it was cool yeah, very cool stuff. I love all these thoughts. And then he closes out with, all in all, these issues made me pumped for so many more insights into the early days of the BPRD. Can't wait to hear the next episode from you guys. Ian W. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Yeah. Great email. And thanks for showing us that he's like always sending me like cool shit. Yeah, he sends you a lot. I love it. It's nice. It's like, yeah, just stuff that I would otherwise miss. You, you typically Hellboy stuff, but sometimes like comic stuff in general. Hell yeah. It's great. I love that. Yeah. Great. Well, we have one more email uh, for the segment, and this comes from our regular emailer, uh, Drew Campbell. Um, it's titled, Oh Boy, Witchfinder. Yeah. Hey, crappers. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love Edward Gray. I feel like the Victorian occult setting is in a lot of ways the perfect setting for the kinds of stories that Mike Mignola likes to tell. Yeah, it seems like it's very much where he'd like to be as well. <laughs> yeah. Especially with like currently what he's currently creating outside of Hellboy, like with his Outerverse, it feels like it's really part of that world a lot and branching out, at least branching out from that world. Yeah. His current work, what he's currently working on. There's such an atmosphere and an inherent darkness to the era that perfectly complements the supernatural horror. The time period falls in an ideal middle ground between the folklore and superstition of early times and the scientific and technological advancements of the modern era, creating a compelling sort of limbo in which scientists perhaps overconfidently attempted to explain the unexplainable while still not quite being able to let go of superstitious beliefs about how the world works. Uh, yeah, that's a very yeah. cool place to put it. Makes it very 
Interesting. I love that. On the other side of the coin, the wider spread of scientific knowledge revealing actual truths makes the things that hadn't been explained yet seem more frightening. To put it another way, if science is a, is a light in the darkness, it makes the shadows outside of its reach seem even darker. This is the air that gave rise to modern horror and the inspiration that Mignola draws from. It is undeniable. That's, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, very well said. Wow. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a lot of like a very cliche statement of like why certain monsters were created in our like zeitgeist is because we just can't, we don't like to look at humans and think that they're as evil as they are. So like yeah. that's why we came up with where vampires come from and it's just a way to like, you know what I mean? Place the blame on something <laughs> other than humanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then also it's just like people like Mary Shelley who are just like, I want to create something, a monster that talks about real life through a story about a monster. Yeah. So cool stuff. Great stuff. Totally. Great. And he continues. He says, Ben Stenbeck has become one of my very, very favorite artists. His clean style was such a hint of cartooniness juxtaposed with this dark, creepy subject matter really serves to heighten the mood so well. He's drawn a number of other stories in the Mignolaverse since Witchfinder, including Frankenstein and Kostje, which are some of the absolute best comics ever made. He also drew a lot of the Baltimore comics, which I highly recommend checking out. I definitely have the omnibuses for Baltimore. I have yet to read the book or those as of yet. They're still in plastic. Sorry. <laughs> I have read the Frankenstein and not yet the Coast J, but I won't probably won't touch them again until we reach them in the in the podcast. And further, he says, just to clarify, and I think this will become clear as you continue. This is something that I com I'm going to comment on. He says, just to clarify, and I think this will become clear as you continue reading, but it is one creature who is gaining strength and growing in size, not multiple creatures, as MDC was thinking. Yes, he's 100% oh, right. Yeah, I got yeah, this completely works. wrong. When I was editing the first episode for Witchfinder, I tried my best to almost try to eliminate my discussion <laughs> of that. But it was like, I couldn't do it well enough to let... It was like too embedded in a different part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, something. and I was like, you have to just let yourself be I don't dumb. even think that's the craziest... I don't uh, think like, so either. They, they look so drastically different. I don't think it's the wildest assumption to be like, oh, maybe there's multiple guys. Yeah, and also that's part of the mystery, right, at the first. like Yeah, at first they don't know who's killing anyone, and it's like, you know, and these, like, the Hyperborean creatures typically travel in huge groups. They're right. not usually, like, lone killers. I don't know. I don't think it's, like, a stupid thing to assume, to, to be like, oh, well, maybe this is more than one thing. For sure. They physically look different. Like, it, it transforms so much, and it's like, how would you know that it's a ghost of a hyperborean <laughs> yeah. vampire, you know? With various forms, depending on how much blood and soul right, it's Right, depending on of. how much, yeah, how much <laughs> life energy it's sucked out of a human. Yeah. But I, yeah. But I mean, thank you for, he's completely right. And yes, it makes it very clear, like, once you're into, like, Issue three, In there's like the no third question. Issue. Yeah, no question. yeah, yeah. But I'll happily be called out for the, my my guesses <laughs> that are wrong. Yeah, I don't think he's doing it in a way that's like you idiot. Nah, he's not. <laughs> he's not. Drew's being cool. No, yeah. Um, and then uh, this last part of this email is wonderful because it really gives us some insight into something that we sort of just guessed at and we weren't very familiar with. He says, "I think Mary's cabinet is meant to be a spirit cabinet. Spirit cabinets were popular in late nineteenth in the late 19th century spiritualism used by mediums to produce supernatural phenomena. In actuality, the cabinets were just tools used to fool people into believing something supernatural was happening. The idea of the spirit cabinet is pretty interesting though. and fits well into this story. And then he provides us a link, which I'll check out later. www.americanhauntingsync.com slash cabinets. So, Oh, cool. This yeah. is great. Yeah. Very cool stuff. I'll post this. Okay. Wait, Okay, I'm well. I clicked on the link real quick. Does it and, get creepy? I'm just well, I have immediately. I see a picture that's captioned Ira and William Davenport inside the spirit cabinet they made famous. But like, isn't it? Is it Davenport? Hold on, dude. Uh oh. Sorry, I'm. Just I, I love it. Googling furniture now. Kate's like a fucking 
Kate's gonna. We're gonna take a pause so Kate can order a, a, a spirit cabinet and some other furniture. I'm just gonna order a quick spirit cabinet and then we'll get right back to the meat of this episode. No, I was thinking of. Okay, I, I was thinking of a different piece of furniture. A Davenport is a piece of furniture that you might lounge on in your living room, like an upholstered sofa or a couch or something. Uh, All right, sorry. I I just saw the name and was like, does this have anything to do with anyway? Oh boy! Oh boy! Okay, keep going. Re- re- no, but I, I I love that you went down that. You know, I'm yeah, you, you, you got a quick rabbit hole there. Yeah, we love it, and we you know <laughs> we're not gonna cut that out because that's just showing the. Did real... Dave and I have like adult ADD? Like, do oh, we, are we just like undiagnosed, <laughs> living our lives like bumping around? Yeah, I'm. We're like pinballs. <laughs> it's almost certainly <laughs> like right. <laughs> Can we get a doctor to email us and uh, <laughs> let us know how to contain ourselves? Yeah, if we have any doctors listening, just listen yeah. to all the listen to the entire show, all the episodes. Diagnosis and tell us. based on that. You could probably hear some bad breathing for me since I have asthma. So um, when I was a, like right out of high school, a friend of mine, I I never was big into like taking a lot of pills or anything, but a friend of mine was like, I have Adderall. Do you want some? <laughs> And I was like, yeah. And I took it. I was like kind of scared to take it, but I took it probably the absolute worst way to take drugs by yourself in your house. Um, Yeah, that would be the worst. And so I I like took some Adderall and all I did was my laundry. And I was like, am I do I have ADD? (laughs) Like, I don't feel high whatsoever. I just feel like I can just do my laundry. (laughs) I don't know. I probably should have revisited this like earlier than right now. That's so funny. I think, Sorry, that's this, these are all things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't diagnose yourself. Yeah. You shouldn't take drugs by yourself for the first time. You shouldn't take someone else's prescription. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't do that. See, you're using. I don't the, condone any of this shit. You're using this niche platform in order to inform and help others. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> just be careful. Yeah, be careful. Yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, do all the drugs you want. Just do it with somebody else. Stop. Yeah, maybe just have somebody watching you. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. But um, yeah. the spirit cabinets are fun because I love the idea of that. It's also just like like a magician's cabinet and they're just tricking people. Right. They're like <laughs> fully coming prepared with their magic tricks. Yeah. And people are falling. I would love it. to see a seance from that. I mean, do they do that at the Magic Castle? I, I wonder if they know. do like. That's a good idea. Like, like vintage, you know, like kind of shows like that. I, that's a I feel good like question. I've seen stuff that like verges on it. I bet we, if we did a, get enough research, we might be able to find something. Yeah. Guess we're yeah. going to have to take a deep dive later on. I, I think so. Into, Taking a lot of notes this episode. I love it. Um, <laughs> and then he closes off by saying, incidentally, there's a small independent film studio called The Spirit Cabinet that Mike Mignola drew a logo for, which he's attached. And I will post when we um, uh, when this episode goes live, I will post it on our feed. And he says, he's which I have a T-shirt. Or he has it on the T-shirt, the logo, which is a cool logo. If you look in the email. That is a cool logo. I like that. (laughs) Like a cabinet opening with two guys. Like almost looks like they're like a triptych or something. Yeah. 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 They're yeah. They're very like marionette. Like even their hands are like kind of wooden detached a little bit. They look carved. It's very cool. Interesting that this was this spirit cabinet thing was established in 1877. That's an old company. Old studio. And he says they make short ghost story films using puppets and practical effects. Oh, that would be oh, makes this sense. Oh, badass. This is awesome. Oh, you're looking at their site right now? Yeah, oh, awesome. yeah. Mike did some design work on one of the films, and Guy Davis has done design and promotional design for them as well. Highly recommended. We'll definitely post that on the feed for other people to Yeah, partake. thanks, Drew. Yeah, that's a great uh, suggestion. I can't wait to check it out as well. Um, and then he just ends with saying, check you later. And remember, I love you, Drew. Oh, thanks, Drew. We Great. Wonderful too. email and insights. Yeah. I loved all your discussion of like what makes Edward Gray putting it in the time period it was and breaking that down. I thought you did a great articulation on all those thoughts, Drew. Totally. Thank you again, um, Ian and Drew, for emailing. And anybody else that has emailed in the past or will email in the future, thank you. And you can share your thoughts easily on the show by emailing us at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. Great, great, great. So, awesome. Um, we're going to 
That's it for our segments of this episode. Yeah. It's time to move on to co- talk about the story, The Burial of Catherine Baker. Take it over, Kate. Hell yeah, The Burial of Catherine Baker, written by Mike Mignola and Scott Alley, illustrated by Patrick Reynolds, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Clem Robbins. And it was originally published in October 2009 as the backup story to Hellboy the Wild Hunt number seven. Um, but we're reading it in, at least I'm reading it in Witchfinder volume one. Oh, yeah, I'm so, reading it in the, om, in the omnibus of Witchfinder yeah. as well. And uh, it starts out, it's, I mean, it's a real short little guy. It starts out with um, like a narration in the form of a letter written from R.S. Forsyth Amersham to Richard Stern, the Archbishop of York. And he's sort of like, hey, Henry Hood wasn't so bad. Like, <laughs> that's kind of what this story is. He basically was uh, assisting Hood during his, like, witch hunts and stuff back in the day before he was, you know, killed and copper coins were put in his eyes and he started... Screwing screwing women and all the weird shit. Yeah, right. He got historically... He, I mean, he pretty much was a Me Too eventually. <laughs> And me too by witches. He got busted, yeah. Although it's, well, not except for this case, which I guess <laughs> I shouldn't even say this. Okay. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> a story written by Scott Alley where the woman is uh, as guilty as she was. Sent oh, I mean, I'll be honest. I was straight up going to comment on it at the very end of it. So I'm glad you got right to it. I was like, this story is very strange to me. And I think it's just circumstantial. That a story, like the first story that we're really reading about Scott, Al- written by Scott Alley, I think. Or <laughs> I was like, this is weird that it's also like defending this bad character. Right. Like right. who's like been painted as like a villain and done horrible things and had, yes, yeah, you like, as you already There's stated. There's been whole storylines of him like fucking shit up for Hellboy. And, and, yeah. and like women and, you know, being yeah. like killing clearly, like Witchfinder even states that like he killed a bunch of people like un- wrongfully. Right. I don't want like, to be associated with famous, him. You know, you know, just to clarify, the devil never did appear in any of these things. It was just a woman that the, whatever town wanted to kill for whatever reason at that time. Crops were bad and they blamed somebody that they didn't like in town. They blamed some woman, you know. Yeah. And even like, in the this doesn't happen, everyone. But just to totally clarify. For sure. And even the when we yeah. found out like back in uh, Darkness Calls that Henry Hood had like killed three witches, it's like he still is he's still like he does it in such a terrible way and like very self-righteous and as well as somebody that is clearly just as we've learned banging a bunch of fucking women underage women it's most a, likely yeah i mean it's i i guess that's the thing about this character it's certainly a flawed character henry hood and then by extension rs Forsyth, who's i mean okay so <laughs> yeah continue into the story <laughs> i mean he sat you know it's like a very puritanical kind of a thing where he's like i write this letter in the year of our lord uh, 1667 some 20 years since the death of henry hood seeking only to clear the good name of that man under whom i served for whose works I have been called into question as England turns its back on faith and piety. So that's where he's coming from. And I think it's like, I don't know. It's hard to say whether this, like for me, when I read that, I'm like, this guy's a fucking asshole. Like, 100%. I, don't, I don't like him. But then it turns out that, at least according to him, the devil did appear and the she was as guilty as could be and like right. was committing awful things for the devil and stuff like that but he continues to write to the archbishop about how catherine was like her farm that her family's farm did well even though all of these other farms around them had bad crops and so people were like suspicious of her and then her boyfriend turned up dead but she would still visit him in the cemetery and there's like a panel like a uh i like this panel of her like seemingly like having a conversation yeah. with her dead boyfriend it reminds me of that movie my boyfriend's back where the boyfriend comes back from the dead i haven't seen it i've never seen it it's on my watch list i really want to watch it i just like the um the conceit of it i think it's really fun i agree i think that panel's Um, great it's you know what go watch i zombie it's a little bit of yeah it's all connecting (laughs) yeah we tried the girl in the usual manner confirming her guilt you know and he doesn't even say what it is but i'm sure it's you know some stupid bullshit like does she float or whatever the fuck yeah as we left the town the girl's family blocked the road to essex i like this 
close up. Like all the art in this is really sick. Ooh, Patrick Reynolds really... is killing it art wise. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I really like the kind of close up of the hands here that are like tied as she's hanging. She sounds morbid as fuck. You know, and the townsfolk, her like family are gathered and they're like, what little shallow grave did you bury her in? We're going to at least bury her on the family plot. And then it's like this stoic kind of close up of Hood looking at that, like considering that. Hood himself was not without sympathy for those whose lives were ruined by witches. So he le- he's like benevolently leads them to the grave of their cool. daughter. Yeah. <laughs> As they approach, she's like, oh, stop that. Somebody else is already digging her ass up and pulling her out of the grave. This guy with like a big long beard uh, dressed <laughs> all in black. And he's like, I'm her father. And her father's like, I'm her father. <laughs> no, no. You see, I've been her father of late. I've been more a father than you ever were. I do like a, the devil revealing himself in such a fun way, though, you know? I yeah, and I like, like the that. red, the touch of just the red in the pupil, the eyes. Yeah, they not kind the pupil, of blow the, a little uh, bit. Uh, the iris. Iris, yeah. Yeah, and then they kind of have a little fight back and forth where Hood starts, like, brandishing the Bible and uh, quoting it, and then the devil smacks him, smacks his face and the Bible out of his hand, and his hat goes flying and his book goes flying. Um, all while holding Catherine under his arm like a sack of flour or something like that. And Hood starts to like unsheath his sword, goes to attack as he's like still, re- you know, quoting scripture. He stabs this guy through, like through the fucking lung. And then in a blaze of fire, the guy turns into the devil himself, dong out, little wings. Little wing. Uh, with little, yeah, wings, little, little wing. <laughs> little wing <laughs> yeah. hanging. Uh, big, like, forked tail and stuff like that. Um, you know, just like the devil is here. Straight up the devil. The devil's here. Very well, you little men. Take her. I wish you luck. If you hope to make her lie in hollowed ground. This girl wasn't merely trafficking with spirits. She was doing things far worse than any of you knew. Be wary of the powers you set against yourself, Henry Hood. Then the devil moved as if to descend a flight of stairs and disappeared into the earth. Which made me think of Austin Powers walking behind the couch. (laughs) Where he's like, I'll take the stairs. I'll take the elevator. Uh, Um, I love it. You know, but he like the devil. That's how I, I was like, oh man, that's like. It's funny to read that because it's such a fun visual of the devil just like walking down into the earth, like through solid earth as though there were stairs there. And I'm like, that would be a really, I mean, that's like where animation would really shine. You couldn't really, it would be hard to to show that in a comic. I agree. But I like Patrick Reynolds art so much that I think it's something that I would have loved to have seen him do. I guess it's like, it seems like it's just there. They maybe had what, like five, you know, spare pages or something. So maybe it's like, oh, okay, we we don't have the space to show that right now. But even like reading that, I was like, oh, okay, that's a cool visual. And then the family just like looked there, uh, looked at, you know, looked at the body. R.S. Forsythe continues his letter. The family looked upon Hood and their Catherine in a different manner as we said our farewells. And no one at the crossroads that day doubted the rightfulness of Hood's mission. What final disposition of her body was decided upon by those people? I do not know. But you will, I trust, find no mention of the church record uh, in the church records of any Christian burial of Catherine Baker. The end. So she was a witch, and it was like if you try to bury her in hollowed ground, I don't know. I guess she'll light on fire or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that was the burial of Catherine Baker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, short one. Eventful. <laughs> it was eventful. So okay, I, I want to first talk about what I like, and then all just my overall thought of this this sure. short story. I think the highlights is I think the writing, the language is good. I like the conceit of the of it. And then I really, truly think Dave Stewart, as usual, is killing it. But then, like, I think Patrick Reynolds is awesome. Like, I think, yeah. I, again, he's just somebody that I think does solid work. I particularly love, like, as you already we already stated, like, I think those first frames in the beginning of showing Catherine alive, particularly, like, like right before. Her talking to her dead boyfriend is awesome. I love that zombie blue. I love the close up of the devil when he's like, I used to be 
I've been more of a father than ever you were. I think that's a great panel as well as the close-up of Hood. I like these kind of brush strokey sort of the texture of like the clouds behind them and like the even like on the devil's forehead there in the panel you're talking about. Yes. I think it's cool. I think that's I think it's like grim, you know, it's like very dour and like the era, you know, it's like if you were in the in the winter in this time, like it would be. Yeah, it would be gray and shitty. Yeah. And I mean, my favorite panel is the devil. I think Patrick Reynolds' devil (laughs) is fucking awesome. It's so weird. I love like his his like sort of gauntlet-esque like forearms that like almost they look I love that. It's like the protrusions from them and stuff like that. I think yeah, I, they're cool. Yeah, I think he looks like rad. a lot of horns. I love the flames. I love the coloring. All of it is so good. I love all the little small expressions from all, everybody reacting to the fact that the devil's bef- standing before them. Yeah. So those are what I love about it. But here's the thing: I don't understand why this story exists within the Hellboy. Like even other short stories that sort of just felt like self-contained that we've touched. Nothing's coming to mind. Seem to add like a little bit of flavor for like just you know the world. I guess that's what this does is. But I, I guess that some people perceived Henry Hood's mission as admirable and like. Maybe he did have good in- intentions, but like we know, like the real history of this shit was like awful. You know, it was just a. I guess like that's it. It's like looking at like you know. I, I don't know. I I don't either. I like I'm trying to figure out why why they wanted to create this as part of the the world because it's not doing like a fun thing where it's like where I thought maybe it would be a little interesting to show this this um this guy that traveled with him sort of be unreliable, like in the sense of he, he, he has the, he has the same point of view as him. So he's writing like he was admirable, but then like the images show like, no, Henry Hood was, was not that, you know what I mean? But what he's perceiving is like, we're doing good work, even though he's doing bad things and never really yeah. does that. It only just goes like, yeah, that Catherine Baker was fucking fooling around with the devil. And beware and i'm like wait what i guess it's like i guess like just to show you that like henry hood at one point or another before you could say he was like corrupted later okay or something like but at this point he was an upright sincere witch hunter who wanted to you know (laughs) remove any kind of like evil devilish influence from england i mean yeah like i don't know I guess you could say his intentions are good and that he wants like salvation for the people of England or something. But I think like just my own, you know, my own history with religion and with Catholicism and stuff. I just think that it's such a bunch of bullshit. So it's not, it doesn't like endear me to this character at all. Like it doesn't like, not that I, maybe that's not even the intention. It's like, okay, so the character believes that he's doing a good thing, but I, that was my that was kind of my assumption about him anyway. Yeah, I don't know. That's I, I I mean that's my only thing is like I love the art of it, especially in the colors. But like I can't figure out like the purpose of it for Hood in our bigger story, especially if our yeah. I sort of made the assumption that that was his mindset before. Yeah, exactly. As like a witch hunter, it's like yeah, I'm doing this. I'm really killing uh, witches or something. I guess I guess as opposed to him just knowing that like just you know killing someone because crops failed but with no other evidence of the devil or like assumed evidence of the devil or something they they like straight up see him. Yeah. And it's like now it just confirms that she was with the devil so I'm like I don't know how to be feel I just don't know I'm like well yeah, okay. Right, right, right. Okay, she's a witch. We've seen witches in this book. I don't know what I just don't know how I'm supposed to feel at the end of this. Am I supposed to be yeah. sympathetic for yeah. Catherine because she's like a victim? Or because we've seen witches. We deal with witches like on a daily read. I guess with we're Hellboy. supposed to look at Hood differently. I guess we're supposed to but be why? like, oh, Hood is more nuanced. Right. Yeah. Why? <laughs> why? He ends up we being have, like an evil ghost. <laughs> yeah. He tries to fucking, he fucks with Hellboy and stuff. And then still yeah, tries to yeah. kill witches. And then what the witches are like, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm very, I'm, with that being said, I mean, I would love to hear what other readers have to, I mean, other readers, listeners, followers have to say about this, um, their inf- insights into it. Because it's, yeah, this is going to sound very harsh. Like, 
even <laughs> even Lobster Johnson, which we like had our qualms with. I understand Lobster Johnson's position in the greater like our readings, like part of the whole. Sure. This is yeah. like I feel like the first time I'm reading something that's supposed to be part of the greater whole that I'm like, I I feel like we could pull it out and I wouldn't lose a beat. <laughs> yeah yeah like it doesn't really add a ton of de- like depth or flavor to the world it's like i kind of assumed he was you know believed that he's doing this real work or like you know worked himself up into a frenzy like it. you know it's like i'm just never gonna be me personally i'm never gonna be sympathetic to a witch hunting character because i think it's it was just like a way to kill women and instill fear in a population to make them conform to whatever, like yeah. pay taxes and shit. It's like, I, I just don't like for me, I'm like this care like no matter what you say, if the devil showed up once, it doesn't make me like that never happened. in like this. I don't know. No, I agree with you saying because we- I guess it's hard because we we look at shit like that all the time. Like we're we're reading stories with like Nazis in them and like these like aren't just comic book villains they're like when, when you get into like a historical like like depictions of things that happened in a historical context for real and harmed a lot of people for real i guess you have to think at a certain point like what what's like what are they trying to say like mm-hmm. is this exploitative like does this like belittle the horrors that happened for real i guess it comes back to like you talking about putting human horrors in this like form of a of a monster or of a devil or something like that. I guess that's kind of it. So like yeah. you're like articulating that things were bad, but for this specific one, it's like, well, you're the story that you're conveying is that this witch hunter hunter was on the right track. And like the devil really was there corrupting people and stuff. So I guess, yeah, I guess that's maybe why it's not like, it doesn't leave like the best flavor in my mouth. Yeah. And also we haven't met. I know that Satan does exist in the Hellboy universe. Just spoiler. But we haven't met him in the context of the Hellboy universe. Right. Um, also, the one demon we... Yeah, it's surprising that it would be a, not like a lesser demon or something. It's just full-blown Satan <laughs> who's like, I felt that personally I should come here for this woman to be able to talk to her boyfriend. Which has, which is on its own, it sounds interesting and cool. Yeah. Without, um, But then... We our main our main hero is this demon, and there's like such we've learned that like even the witches that have like fucked with Hellboy throughout the pages that we've read, we've never like fully categorized them as full on villains unless they're like Baba Yaga, who's just like you're vindictive and you just want destruction. A lot of it is yeah. in this other world that's just trying to survive. If, if if only in the shadows, but still survive. They're like, uh, a lot of the demons in the shit are like lawful, evil, kind of like, I'm living by rules and yeah. I have my place and I do X, Y, it's like, I don't know. They have like jobs. Yeah, agree. And that's why just bringing Hood and not having really an explanation for why we're reading this and just like, the most we can get out is I guess we're supposed to sympathize with this terrible man. <laughs> and it's like, well, I'm not going or just to at least give him some n- nuance where it's like he's not 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 go as far as to like sympathize with him, but to say, OK, well, he was in this instance, he was justified. So maybe that just makes this more of a complex story. Right. Like I kind of get that, but it's I also just don't care about the complexity of this character, I guess. Yeah, I agree. And I think they just didn't go far enough to make it feel that important but of a witches, complexity. Witches are pretty bad in this whole story, like in this world as yes. a whole. As a whole, yes. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's very, str- it's, a, it's a strange little read, but gosh, I do love that Patrick Reynolds and Dave Stewart's work together. Oh, yeah. Just have to just say it again. Great work from them. Yeah. <laughs> Any other final thoughts about this one? No, that's kind of it. Yeah, I really like the kind of brushstrokiness of it. And yeah, yeah. Great. Well, um, listeners, we want to hear your insights and your thoughts about the burial of Catherine Baker. You can email your thoughts and share those with us at ahcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. I gave a lot of suggestions at the top, but I don't know if I have anything for this other than, you know, go watch The Crucible, I guess. (laughs) Sure, something like which related? Go watch that Crucible. Daniel Day Lewis, my own writer. You know, check it out. <laughs> I've never seen. Classic. It. We would we would always <laughs> we'll read watch the play. It in high school, like 
I think I feel like I watched it multiple times. I was in it. Oh, you were in the play. Who did you play? I played Judge. I think Judge Davenport is his name. The main judge. That's the Davenport's evil judge. Up a lot today. Yeah, I did play it in high school, and there was a funny moment in my high school performance of The Crucible where you know how there's like a a poppet that they constantly mm -hmm. ref refer to. It's like the doll that's like that's like use it as a as evidence of yeah. them their witchcraft. I remember in the, one of the major <laughs> monologues, and we were doing a performance that was in the round in high school. And I remember one of the major monologues where I'm talking to Proctor, John Proctor, and I'm like very serious, have to go like Mr. Proctor. And just in the moment came out of my mouth was Mr. Poppet. Mr. Poppet. Poppet. And I remember like in character, in, like during just, like one of the actual the nights of the play. performances, oh, I had to be like Mr. Poppet. And then I had to like angrily, like in the moment, correct myself, which was a fun, you know, moment yeah. where you're like... Mr. Proctor, and then continue on my monologue. Did uh, but the audience enough, clock it, or like, was it? I think I don't know if the audience clocked yeah. it. That's a good question. I sometimes you only clock things. Like I, yeah, that. I think this is probably just embedded <laughs> in your memory forever. But literally nobody else, even like maybe even in the moment, they were like, "Oh, whatever." Yes, exactly. I never did plays in high school, but it sounds like they were fun or excruciating. <laughs> I can't. Decide. The ones I did, luckily, were okay, fun. Good. So. I had a good time in that same production though. That I felt really bad. I can't remember the guy, the actor. Uh, this that was the he was playing some role, and every night at the same spot he would forget his line. It was Bummer. like a classic weird thing where like almost every night when we got to this one part, the line would. Slip. I mean, I'm sure after the it, first time he did it, it's just in his head, and he's just yes, uh, yeah. He's just gonna fucking it, it, never get it right. I, yes, it was Poor just guy. like I always heard heard about that happening, and then when I was actually like backstage and was like witnessing it happen, I was like, "That's strange. absolute nightmare, absolute worst nightmare." Uh, in my, um, on my mod team one time, I forgot. I straight up fucking forgot a line, <laughs> and was just standing there. I, it was like it's the absolute worst feeling in the world. You feel like a it fucking is. idiot. You're like, I had one job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a fucking bad feeling, dude. Yeah. So there you go. Go read. Go pick up a copy of Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Have a read of it. Yeah. And if you like Crucible, that, read A witch. View from Under the Bridge. <laughs> I don't think I have any other witches or anything like that to, to suggest. Anything from you? Oh, I have one that's kind of fun that I watched. Like That's on um, Shudder still. Hold on. I might have fucking. I mean, just kill me if I, I hope you. I hope you say what you're about. Oh, I hope you say what I think oh you're going to say. <laughs> Hold on, hold on. The Devils, nineteen seventy one. The Devils. Have I said that? I don't think you. I don't think you have suggested that one. It's like a a, a dramatized historical account of the rise and fall of Urbain Grandier, a seventeenth century Roman Catholic priest accused of witchcraft. And it's a pretty nutty movie. It's like visually crazy, Ooh. and there's some there's some shit that happens in the movie that's like feels like it should be out of place in like a historic like a historic movie but yeah it's but it 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 works um mm -hmm. and it's the same kind of thing where it's like he's kind of a bad guy but he is technically innocent of witchcraft at least oh it's a crazy fucking movie i will suggest one more in addition to that uh did you have you ever heard of the love witch oh yeah 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 i've seen the love witch yeah from 2016 yeah. I think, yeah, auteur Anna Biller, who who created it, who wrote, directed, and produced it, The Love Witch, it's just so, it's just something of its own, like, sort of cinema that I think worth checking totally. out. Totally. She did, she went on Joe Bob Briggs and had, did, like, an interview with him, like, while he did oh, a show. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It, like, it made me like the movie a lot more, like, her kind of point of view on just, like, filmmaking and stuff was was interesting. I thought it was cool. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. Love right. Witch, baby. Awesome. Love Witch, baby. And the devils. The devils, yeah. Great. All right. Well, reminder to all our folks out there, you can follow us on Instagram at Crap, a Hellboy podcast, Twitter, Crap Hellboy. Um, we do do our darndest to reply to any comments or direct messages on there um, from you, um, in addition to the posts we do on a weekly basis. Um, but... If you do want your thoughts on the show, just remember you got to email us at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. And then I would just like to ask you to please subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you listen to our show. If they give you that option for any of that, please do so. But if you go out of your way to go on to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review that 
starts with the word boom. We call that a boom review. If you give us a boom review, we will we will read your review right here on the show and give you a big old shout out and praise and send all the good vibes <laughs> your way. So please give us a boom review to bring others to the show along with you yourself. Yeah. So but that is it for this episode covering the burial of Catherine Baker. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank you again for listening. And remember, we love you. We love you, baby. My name is Will Himes, and I am a ghostwriter, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire.